Welcome to Freeman on Real Estate, the podcast about the hard facts behind what's going on in real estate. Realtor Mike Freeman of Coldwell Banker, who holds an MBA in finance, draws from his financial background and deep network to bring the most value for anyone looking to buy, sell, rent, or invest. Hi, this is David Yaz of the Boston Podcast Network. Welcome back to Freeman on Real Estate. I'm here with Realtor Mike Freeman. How are you, my friend? I'm great, Dave. How are you today? Very good. So in the last episode was just jam-packed with info on advice for people thinking about investment properties. Today, kind of a more fundamental issue, but man, is, is this an important one? And it's just how to make sense of where the market is in terms of listing prices of homes. I know that you have a panoramic view of this from town to town. How many different towns do you, do you operate in? Or is it, is it limitless? It's pretty limitless. I'll yeah. tell people that I'm not going to go west out to Pittsfield. I'm not going to go <laughs> east out to Provincetown. <laughs> yeah. But I'll go pretty far. So yeah. I go where the business is. So what makes sense in terms of where to start this, Mike? I mean, people just want to know what the market is like, how much I can list my home for, what I should expect if I'm buying a home in terms of a ballpark of a certain kind of home. I know it differs from town to town. Where do we start with this analysis? So what I like to do is I never like to focus on just one town, especially in this market where there's so little activity. There's very few houses on the market. There's very few houses that have been listed. There's very few houses that have sold. So historically, you could look at Sharon, you could look at Canton, you could look at Westwood, and you'd have 70 or 80 houses that you could compare to. Mm. Now you've got like four. Mm. So it doesn't really make much sense to do that. And so I was in an appointment last week with some customers, prospective customers who are thinking about selling. And that's the exact same question that you just asked. And I said, well, let's look at, let's look at Sharon, for instance, where this house was. And if we look at what's on the market right now, there are 13 houses on the market right now. A year ago, there were five. It's actually gone up. And that's mm. probably more due to the fact that houses are staying on the market a little bit longer than they were last spring. But if you're going to base your opinion on what's going on with how, with that few, mm. with those few houses, with those numbers, then you're probably not going to make a very good decision. So what I like to do is look at broader trends, look at what's going on in a group of towns, similar towns. And then, but most importantly, I, I still do the same analysis by looking at houses that are similar to theirs. So right. last week I was able to find three that were pretty good comps. Luckily I sold one of them too. Nicely done. And thank you. And so you still at the end of the day want to come up with comps for that house that are in the neighborhood, that are similar houses. But when people ask the question like what you just did, that's where you really want to explain to them that you have to expand it. So I'll just quote you real quickly. In Sharon for those 13 houses that are on the market right now, and I ran this this morning, mm -hmm. the median price is $1.15 mm. Now, does that mean that that's what houses are selling for in Sharon? No, not at all, because that is for 13 houses. A small sample size. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just too small. Now, if yeah. you're choosing between those 13, if you're a buyer right now, that's your sample size, and not every house on that list of 13 is going to be for you. Mm. But a couple of years ago, it was 950 A year ago, it was 900 So those numbers you can tell are skewed and the ups and downs when you look at numbers that small don't really make sense. You should probably look at more towns, similar towns. Right. Right. So if we expand, does it help? Does it help to 
take a, how do you how do you find a bigger sample size? I guess. So what I like to do is, let's say the house. I'll stick with that example of the people I met with on Friday, where the house was in Sharon, and, and they asked that broader question. What I showed them is, let's take all of Norfolk County, for instance, that Sharon resides in, and a lot of towns around us. So 334 houses are on the market as of today in Norfolk County, which is about, it's almost 30 towns. It's a lot. But that's kind of crazy that you have to go, that means you have an average of about 10, say, or maybe 11 houses on the market in all 20, 29 towns in Norfolk County. So you really do need to combine a lot of towns. If I did just say Sharon and the seven towns that touch Sharon, Mm -hmm. I'd probably be only at about 60 or 70, which may be a reasonable enough. Better than size. 13, but it's still it's still, small. still short of 100, yeah. Right. But but here's here's how the numbers can still be skewed, even with 334. So right now, the median list price for houses on the market today for those 334 houses is over a million mm. in all of Norfolk County. Right. But if you look at the average sales price... For what's sold so far for Norfolk County this year, mm-hmm. 606000 Okay, so I'm no math whiz, but there seems to be a pretty big gap there. Yeah. So that, that to me, to the outsider, that's confusing. So how do you reconcile that? So what I say to people, so so by the way, the 606 is for 522 homes, so it's not like that's a small sample size no, that's a big, either. Yeah. But it's a huge difference. And when I first saw this number, I thought, well, something's wrong. Right. This can't be right. But that's one of the unusual things about the market we're in right now and have been in for the last couple of years. You sometimes see numbers that make absolutely no sense, and then you have to really peel back the onion a few layers. So mm-hmm. what's going on here is that it's the higher price houses that are sitting on the market. And it's the lower price houses that are selling really quickly. So when you look at that median sales price of 600 that's telling you that there are a lot of houses that have sold for 400, 500, just as many that have sold for 700 or 800. And it's in that price range that we're still seeing what we saw a year ago, where we have multiple offers, we have bidding wars, and houses are selling really quickly and coming off the market, going on and then back off the market in a week. Mm. That's so, how- right. So, the high, a lot of the high priced houses are still part of that inventory, that, that part of that big number for listing. But then a lot of them are still there, so they're not part of the that number that quoted the sales prices. Exactly. Yeah. And, and this is what is going on out there. If you look at our town of Sharon, you look at other towns, you'll see that the houses on the market really are a million plus. But that's not the norm if you look at houses in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But those are houses that are on the market right now. And I think part of it is because I think we've all seen this. When builders come in and put in a new house or a new neighborhood, um, new development, what do they do? They only put in high price houses. Mm-hmm. Builders don't builders don't build four hundred, five hundred thousand dollar houses. At least in this year, they build million, million point five. Mm-hmm. That's part of what's going on. What's make it, making it so difficult for buyers? As a, just looking at one other number that I think price wise is gonna is gonna show you, give you a little more insight. The median for houses that have been listed this year. These houses maybe have sold, maybe haven't, but they were they were new listings this year. Median list price was 750. Mm. So 
not that close, certainly nowhere near the million, but still another 150000 higher than what has sold this year. So it, it's really strange what's going on in the market this year. But I think that by usually those numbers are all going to be really close. Right. And, right. and they're just not. So does that tell you that some of these high-priced homes are are priced too high? Or are sellers pricing themselves out? Or is this just sort of the natural churn of things? I think that you, that houses are priced too high. Yeah. I do. I think that in the lower price ranges where they're selling quickly, I see people usually pricing at a level they should be. And if there's going to be a bidding war, there's going to be a bidding war. But when you get over a million, and and I'll also tell you this, so that, that average of over a million, those houses have been sitting on the market for um, an average of 30 days. A year ago, the exact same situation, houses on the market as of this date in March a year ago, have been on the market for 10 days. Yeah. So that number's tripled. Yeah. Uh, and so... You have fewer buyers, and that's why you're seeing the prices go way up and the number of days in the market is staying up. You have fewer buyers. I think people have gotten, sellers have gotten their expectations out of whack a little bit, and these are the houses that are going to go down in price multiple times and stay in the market a long time. If you are thinking of selling your home and you have an option to put it on now or maybe at the end of 2023, is it is it do you give them advice necessarily one way or the other in other words if if say you and say it is a million plus house in far as far as time as far as timing just because it it sounds like one way to interpret those numbers is that the high priced homes aren't selling very rapidly and and maybe things could change six months down the road but w- what do you tell people in terms of uh, timing what I tell people is never time the market. Yeah. It's just like with the stock market. You you really shouldn't be looking at what you think is going to happen because you'll almost always be wrong. Right. And if you ask me what I think, I'll almost always be wrong because none of us has a crystal ball and it's, it's very difficult to predict what's going to happen. And if you're wrong, you're talking about a major decision. This is not buying or selling one stock or one mutual fund. This is... This is usually buying or selling the one property that you own. Yeah, it's, uh, it sounds like you're saying base your decision on your own personal circumstances, not what you think. So in other words, if 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 you are starting a new job six months from now, life's going to be easier for you to sell or buy, whatever it is. There's something going on in your life, that would be a good reason, but not just, hmm, well, high prices, uh, high-priced homes aren't really selling right now. Why should, why should we enter into this fray? But I take it if if your house is reasonably priced, it's going to sell, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. it, it'll, it, it's going to sell. It is going to take a little longer, most likely. The odds are, if it's over a million dollars, even if you price it right, it's going to take not longer than it has historically, longer than the lower price houses, which are selling ridiculously fast. Hmm. But but you just what you just said is exactly what I say to people, that it needs to be based on your particular situation in life. Did you get a job in another location? Mm-hmm. Are you retiring? Are you ready to move out of your parents' basement because you and your wife just had a kid and it's becoming untenable? Yeah. Life happens, and that's usually when real estate happens. Mm-hmm. And it should not be based on timing. It should not be based on what you're going to think, what you think may happen should be based on what's going on in your life. Just like we talked a couple of weeks about about investment properties. Maybe it's for you and maybe it's not. But 
and even though these million dollar plus houses are taking longer to sell, what I should add is that they're not taking longer to sell than they did five or 10 years ago. It's longer and they're getting further away from their list price compared to the lower price houses. So that's an important thing to to note. It's not like you have houses selling in three days in the six $700,000 range in 60 days for the million plus range. It's, right. it's not... It's not to that level. Mm-hmm. What kind of trends do you see from town to town? I know that historically, some of the towns you mentioned, Sharon, Canton, Stoughton, a lot of a lot of high-priced homes. And I don't want to generalize, but it seems like sometimes if you move a little southeast, you're going to find towns like Attleboro where you can find more bargains. I don't know what the nice way of saying that is. <laughs> Any trends you notice these days from, from town to town? Oh, yeah, there are major differences uh, from town to town. The general trends of what's going on with prices, inventory, days until people accept offers, those are generally similar from town to town. But you could be looking at a median price in Westwood or Wellesley of a million, and maybe you're looking at four or $500,000 if you look at a town like, say, Stoughton or Randolph. But but interestingly enough, the same things are going on in all of these towns in mm. terms of inventory being really low and houses selling quickly. I would say that they are selling quicker and far closer or not even close to list price above asking price. It's more likely to happen in the towns that have lower prices. Makes sense. And so, and then you get a town like Sharon, which the inventory is just super low, right? I mean, yeah. 13 houses is, is, it's not much of a marketplace. No, there's not much at all. And I, these folks that I met with on Friday, they're moving down to like Dartmouth, Mass, that area. They want to be closer to the water. And what I said to them, so they, they have a buyer's agent down there. I tried. But, but they have somebody <laughs> who I'm sure knows that area much better than I do. Mm-hmm. And I said to them that you should be prepared that you're probably going to make an offer on a house and not get it. You're probably going to lose a house. And they're like, really? Mm. And I said, yeah, you should be prepared that the average person does not get want their first house or maybe even their second house. Mm-hmm. And so that was a bit of an eye-opener for them. And that's just the discrepancy between buyers and sellers right now. And that's going on at all price levels, mm-hmm. just less so for the million-plus than for the, say, four hundred dollars to $700,000 range. But you have the same phenomenon going on. And it's not just in Boston. It's not just greater Boston. It's all over the country. I have friends who live in Denver, California, Atlanta, and it's funny because a lot of people will say, oh, you wouldn't believe what's going on in my market. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same thing. It's mm-hmm. a national phenomenon. It's just going to vary a little bit in terms of to what extent these things are going on. But they're going on everywhere. And I take it that's one of the values of working with a realtor like yourself. If you're not going to get that first home or maybe that second home, you want someone to turn to and say, either uh, what are we doing wrong or what's next or are there any similar properties in, in either this town or similar towns? Absolutely. And I have, I have one that came up today. I'm mentoring somebody in my office, and she had one today where her buyers are making an offer, and the listing agent who they're in a position of strength. I mean, let's face it. I feel like I'm in more position of strength when I represent a seller than when I represent the buyer. And I do both. Most realtors do both. So the listing agent said to this person, 
and again, I've been involved since I'm her mentor. I almost feel like it's it's my property or I'm doing it together with the person. And she said that the we have four offers and they're all pretty close in price. Not that you're really supposed to say that, but it would be great if you could improve your terms. So it's a very general thing. And if I told you or your audience, you have to improve your terms, you'd probably say, what are you talking about? Right. 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 So in this particular case, they're putting down 30% cash, which is very good. It's not going to make a difference if they put down 40. Might make mm-hmm. a difference if they do 70 or 80, but that's not something they can do. Their dates were very flexible. They We asked the seller, "What? when do you want to close? And we we did that date. And so really what can in, what term can improve is the inspection contingency. And I know we talked about this in prior episodes, but in general, but in this case, the, the buyers are young. They um, didn't have the experience and they said, well, tell us what we can do. And I, and I went through what I think some of your listeners have heard me say before, which is that on one end of the spectrum, you could waive it completely and you could um, not do it and not have the contingency, which I don't recommend. I think that's really risky because even new construction, there are going to be things that are wrong that should be addressed. The other end of the spectrum is just to have a regular inspection contingency, but sellers don't like that. And sellers are in a position of strength right now. And it doesn't mean that they think something's wrong with the house. It just means that if you're willing to do something with your inspection contingency, it's one less thing for them to worry about. So what I recommended to these folks today is that they either waive the inspection contingency, but still do one for informational purposes only. Mm. And that way, if there's something major, they could walk away. But two other things that are pretty equivalent are to say that the buyer won't ask the seller to repair or replace any individual item for less than X. It could be 5000 could be 10000 But it gives peace of mind to the seller because they know they're not going to be nickel and dimed. And that's a big thing right now. People want a smooth transaction. And if you're able to do that with your inspection contingency, it gives sellers comfort. And then the last thing you can do is say you're not going to ask the seller to repair, replace any anything other than structural, mold, asbestos, termites, major things like that. Again, it gives them peace of mind that if you discover that, well, you're already going to know the age, you should know the age of the furnace and the age of the hot water here, but if there's a stair or a couple of stairs on the porch that are loose and need to be replaced, you're not going to come back and ask the seller. And that's a big thing. They don't want to be nickel and dime. It's, right. it's more the time. It's not even the money. Right. So those are some things that people can do that. And, and the people today, we're going to go back and discuss amongst themselves. What can we do to make our offer more attractive? And hopefully they will get the house. But the, these are some of the things you need to do in this market to get the house that you want. And Mike is here to talk you through all those things, of course. At the tail end of the show, we'll let you know how to get in touch with Mike. Or you can just check the show description of this podcast anytime you like lots of ways to get in touch with them right now we want to learn more about the realtor and the man in this edition of more about mike more about mike more about mike more about mike all right we we're going deep into the question bin for this one mike and this question intrigued me i hope you enjoy it as well would you rather win an olympic medal an academy award or the nobel peace prize now, what makes how you many think, how many of those have yeah. <laughs> you were going to? I was going to say, what makes you think I haven't won some of those? <laughs> yeah. How many can we cross off the list? Yeah, yeah, zero. Okay. <laughs> so, good question. Yeah. I guess you're talking best case scenario, right? Like, I have a reason why it could be 
consider for the Nobel Peace Prize? Um, well, yeah, see, it, in, in some regards, like I look at this question and I say, you're given permission to answer honestly without being judged because most people would say, well, of course, a Nobel Peace Prize, if you're going to cure, you know, if you're going to s- solve the warfare and terrorism. But no, 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 no. We, we wipe that off the table. It's all things being equal. Would you rather win Olympic medal at Academy Award or Nobel Peace Prize? Academy. I mean, sorry. <laughs> cut that out. <laughs> I would most, I would prefer to win an Olympic medal because mm. I've always been into sports. I've always participated in sports. And I know you have as well. And it's the exhilaration of winning something in whatever sport it is. There's nothing like it. Yeah. yeah. Whether it's like a race that you're in that you come from behind and you win or a baseball game that you win and you're last at bat. I don't think there's any other parts of life that can really compare to that exhilaration that you get from sports, um, yeah. male or female, doesn't matter. Yeah, so that's what I would. That's what I would choose. That's why sports sports matter. In a way, they don't matter, but in a way, they they matter just as much as anything else in life. Because yeah, it provides you those moments. You've accomplished something. And so there's still hope. I mean, you were, I, I think baseball is still an Olympic sport. Maybe you and I can become coaches. And I mean, I, I look down the bench of the, the, the Israel. I know we both have Jewish heritage. Did you see who the co- who's on the coaching staff for the Israeli national team that participated in the baseball class? No, who was that? It was Ian Kinsler. Oh. Former Red Sox and now retired Jewish Jewish baseball player, and Kevin Euclid was next oh. to him, and so the only thing I thought of was, aren't there good coaches in Israel that actually live in Israel? That actually, but no, we we went for the, the best Jewish baseball players. But anyway, so and would there be maybe if we can imagine this, since we're we're dealing in this hypothetical land, would it be something to win for the United States? Presuming you're not going to play for uh, for Israel. Do you get behind that patriotism thing when it comes to Olympic time? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a huge Olympics guy, but yes, definitely it would be, it would add an extra element to win an Olympic gold medal for America. Yeah. Do you have a favorite Olympic memory? There's one obvious one, I guess. Well, this is the dream team. Yes. That's, I knew that. Oh, no, no. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say the hot, the Muhammad Ali. No, Miracle on Ice. Oh, that's yeah, Winter Olympics. Of course, Winter Olympics. no, that's that's the greatest memory is seeing the Olympic hockey team win in 1980. My nephew actually played there oh, yesterday yeah? at Lake Placid. In Lake Placid, wow. I think he's 13, mm-hmm. and they won the bronze for some kind of national tournament. And he's wow. like a really good hockey player, and he scored. and And my brother Come posted on. on Facebook that it's on the loudspeaker, and you hear Luke Freeman. How about that? Yeah, it's, on it's the very cool. ice where the miracle happened. On the very wow. ice. That's cool. Yeah. That's terrific. So yeah. so that's probably it. And then I started to say the dream team. I mean, that was a foregone conclusion. We knew they were going to win and win by a lot. But it was still a great moment to it see them great. to see those players up there win a gold medal for their country. Yeah, for sure. Well, maybe someday. Is Israeli uh, baseball team, if you're looking for a couple guys with some Little League experience coaching, <laughs> Mike and I are, are your men. Terrific episode once again, Mike. Well done. And why don't you let people know where they can get in touch with you if they want more advice, more analysis, etc. Sure. Give me a call at 617-759-1513. Just want to chat about real estate or shoot me an email, mike.freeman at nemoves.com. 
We thank you for listening to the podcast. We remind you if you enjoy it, and we know you do, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your shows. And thanks for listening to Freeman on Real Estate.